Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You are looking live, ladies and gentlemen. Those are the words of the great Brett Musburger, who saw a lot during his tenure as a pro football and college football commentator. One of the men that he called games for, Jeff George. And we're going to be talking a lot about him today. The former number one overall pick had a wild and chaotic career, but threw probably the prettiest deep ball of all time. We're going to discuss his tenure with the 1999 Vikings, why it happened, and why it ended. Stay tuned. We're going to have some fun tonight. Welcome to the Real Forno Show. Tyler Fornis, contributor at NBC Sports Edge. USA Today's Vikings Wire, Sports Illustrated's All Seahawks, along with being a member at Climbing the Pocket. That is the epitome of watching Jeff George in the National Football League. You really need a drink to soak it all in. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to have some fun here tonight. I'm your host, Tyler Fornis. With me, as always, the man, producer Dave. Uh, you know, that's the second week in a row I've gotten the point right. We're flying high. Dave, how you doing? I'm doing great. Couldn't be better. Well, we could be better because the Vikings could have a Super Bowl. Um, that's why, as your shirt says, this team makes me drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're we're going to have some fun because the 1999 season is quite an interesting one in that it feels like a letdown. But at the same time, it rebounded in a major way. And the catalyst of that rebound is the one and only Jeff George. And in order to really understand Jeff George, you have to go all the way back to his college days and him getting drafted into the NFL. At Illinois, Jeff George was fantastic. He led the fighting line, I I believe, to a Rose Bowl. He had just a howitzer of an arm, a piss missile. Jeff George has arguably a top 10 arm in the history of the National Football League. He threw an absolutely beautiful, beautiful football. Gorgeous. Uh, There were some deep balls in that 99 season that never left the camera. And it was just perfect. Just perfect. And... That was why he kept getting opportunities in the NFL. But there were some issues that kind of clouded him at Illinois. And then when he got to the NFL as the first overall pick in 1990 for the Indianapolis Colts, things never really got off the ground, Dave. They they were pretty rough for him. They sometimes don't for first teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he really struggled uh, with the Indianapolis Colts. Um he did end up having a winning season in uh, 1992, but he refused to report to training camp in 93. And 
then um, after 93, Colts traded him to the Atlanta Falcons. And what was really impressive about that trade, they got a first-round pick back for him. A guy who had had issues, who threatened to hold out for training camp before the 1993 season. And Ursay had to threaten to f- with him with a fine in order to get him to show up. Um, then he ended up going to the Falcons uh, starting in 94. This is where things kind of went off the rail for George. And I think this is really important to talk about in the context of him as a Minnesota Viking. Because every, everything um, plays into it. You know what, GMAC? I like that. I've got the hair. Dave's got the beard. You combine us together. We are pure Norsk. <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. My, I am actually not having the best hair day. It's, I got, I got kind of lazy this morning. Whatever. I, I manage a liquor store. It's fine. They really, they don't care. They love me. All right. So let's talk about his time in nineteen ninety, uh, in the nineties with the Falcons. All right. He led them to the playoffs in nineteen ninety five. But the real thing that everybody knows him for is all the BS, all the the whining, the tantrums, the immaturity. And I even kind of made a joke in our group chat that I was just going to whine, complain, and throw stuff around in my office just to really epitomize Jeff George. Because I feel like you have to... You have to understand that piece because it plays such a pivotal factor into his lack of success in the National Football League on a grand scheme of things. Jeff George finished with nearly 30,000 yards in his NFL career because teams kept giving him chances because of that beautiful, beautiful arm. Search Jeff George highlights on YouTube if you ever want to go down that rabbit hole. It's fun. He's incredible. But there's a reason why he didn't catch up. So... The biggest reason, and Dave, I think you're going to remember this. Um, in a game against the Eagles in the end of September, on TNT, who, if you don't remember, had half of the Sunday night contract with, uh, to air Sunday night football. Had the first half of the season, and then and that the was second new. half of the season went to ESPN. Yes, that was very new. He got into a heated argument with, with June Jones. And it was caught on national TV, and Jeff George is just all stoic and just yelling at him, like, you know. And it got him suspended. And at the end of his tenure, after the 1996 season, so he only lasted three years after being, uh, after getting a first round pick um, for him at the Indianapolis did. He ended up going to the Oakland Raiders, where he he had uh, some of those issues uh, in Oakland, but it's also Oakland, and they really don't care. Um, they are going to be really calm, cool, collective, and they're just going to, you know what? You got talent, we'll take you. They've been known to do that pretty much since the existence of the franchise, and this is the epitome of that. But they hired John Gruden after the 1997 season, where Jeff George was pretty good. Um, and the problem was, even though he threw 29 touchdowns and nine picks, with, for an impressive 91-2 passer rating, the Raiders finished 4-12. and They ended up replacing uh, their head coach, which I believe at the time was Arshel, and they implemented uh, – no, it was Joe Bugle. 
Um, I stand corrected. They implemented John Gruden, who instead of uh, running a vertical passing offense, ran more of a controlled um, timing West Coast approach, which really did not suit Jeff George. Very inconsistent there. And then they ended up getting Rich Gannon, which ended up being one of the best uh, free agent quarterback signings in the history of the National Football League, as Gannon was finally figuring it out and won an MVP for the Raiders and took them to the Super Bowl. That leads to the Minnesota Vikings. Former now, Viking Rich Gannon. Yes. Dave, take a drink. There we go. What's the, what's the bourbon on tap tonight? It's not. This Trey Agaves. Um, Ooh, Trey Agaves is good. Mm-hmm. High rec, high recommend, Dave. Um, Revel Tequila Reposado. Mm-hmm. You're gonna want to try that because it's a it's a really good Reposado Tequila with a bourbon finish. Because it's Ooh. a seventy percent aged oak, high recommend. Very unique. Well, you're talking about tequila and bourbon. Just watching my guys, uh, Rex and uh, got his Daniel, and uh, from the local whiskey group here, Whiskey Tribe, and they were talking about a bourbon that's aged in tequila barrels. A unique what's bourbon? What's that I don't called? I don't. I didn't write it down. I will have to go look at that video again. But it sounded unique and sounded interesting. I'll let you know. And as most people know, Tyler runs a liquor store. Dave does not run a liquor store, but he appreciates liquor. After many, many decades of drinking it, uh, back in my crew chief days all the way up till now, I appreciate fine spirits. And. Yeah. Uh, you can get them at Tyler's store anytime, and we like talking about it on occasions. Yes, we do. Um, speaking of, if you ever find a bottle of the Weller Antique Collection, DM me for my address. I've been desperate <laughs> to find one. Um, anyways, uh, let's kind of talk about it, the antithesis of him during the Vikings. Uh, the Vikings traded Brad Johnson away after the 98 season for a first and a third round pick in 99 and a second round pick in 2000. Getting a first, second, and third for Brad freaking Johnson was quite the coup. And fortunately, they were able to capitalize on that 11th overall pick because they really blew the twenty uh, said the 28th overall pick by selecting Demetrius Underwood. That, that one hurt. But they were able to score a franchise quarterback in Dante Culpepper, who, if you've ever listened to me on this show before, know how much I love Love, love, love Dante Culpepper and think he is uh, massively underappreciated by this Vikings fan base. And 99 was his rookie year. Yep. But he came from Central Florida, um, and back then the group of five teams uh, really didn't play a lot of great competition. It wasn't nearly the same college football landscape as it is today. Even though he set NCAA records for completion percentage, and he was also – he had an absolute cannon for an arm. He needed some time to sit and learn. And he was afforded that time because you had Randall Cunningham coming back after winning 14 games before uh, going into the playoffs. Cunningham was viewed as the starting quarterback, and yeah, it was – they thought they had a couple more years left with him, but they knew they needed to find that next guy. In 98, was considered a very rich quarterback draft. 
Unfortunately, only two of those guys really worked out. Donovan McNabb, who went second overall to the Eagles, and Culpepper. Because mm-hmm. Tim Couch at one didn't do much. Akili Smith at three um, was one of those uh, athletic quarterbacks, as people like to talk. He was very good at running the football. He was great on the move. But he needed to really develop that passing. He never really got there to a to a substantial level. And it, it doesn't help that he was with the Cincinnati Bengals, who were a dumpster fire franchise. Then came big down and went 12th overall. To the Bears. They tried this thing where every like third or fourth series was Cade McNown. Didn't work. And then we got he got the full reins. He was bad. Um who do I like better? Like uh, most Moon Chicago Dante? quarterbacks. Yeah. Yeah. Moon or Dante? Uh Chris Thompson says his best. Look at my wall, man. Look, I had a framed Dante Culpepper jersey. It was beat up. I ended up selling it because I didn't have space uh for it. Um, and I'm looking to uh to get another one. And then get that one framed up and get it looking just as nice as these. Um, will it be in the office? Probably not. But this is a Warren Moon wall. And eventually I'm going to have a third Warren Moon jersey back there. And it's it's going to be the Washington Huskies. So that, that'll be really cool. Um, but the reason why they ended up signing Jeff George was because of Brad Johnson. And... Six games into the season, it was just evident that Cole, or that Cunningham was done. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe Judd said it a couple years ago or a couple weeks ago on the show, Judd or Dave. Man, my brain is just so fried. I keep just stumbling over my own words. Uh, he, he mentioned that I believe Cunningham went up to Green and said, "Hey, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I like I just have nothing left." And then in comes Jeff George, who kind of leads a renaissance because at that point the Vikings were two and four. And that's not exactly what you would call a good record. Um, and when Cunningham did it, it was in the middle of the sixth game. They swapped at half. Yes. It was at half that Cunningham told Coach Green, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And the kind of way things went, it was a very frustrating opening six games because the Vikings had four losses by 5-4, two, 2-2. and two. We weren't. They weren't exactly losing barn burners here. Like they, like they were getting blown out. They were losing close games. They did avenge that Atlanta Falcons loss in the '98 championship game, Week One, seventeen to fourteen. But who gives a crap? Like it's the next year. It doesn't mean anything. Um, but it did feel good to gain a monicum of revenge. And then close losses to um, the Raiders at home. And then the Packers on the road, they got the they got the Bucks at home uh, before uh, losing to the Bears, and then that aforementioned game that Dave talked about, the Lions. Um, they ended up losing that game twenty five twenty three, but at halftime it was nineteen to nothing. And I think I, if I remember correctly, Dave, I'm going to look up the play by play because this might be the game. That drove me bonkers as a kid. Um, Which one? Yeah. The uh, Broncos? No, um, this game. Uh, Jason Hansen, uh, the Lions, had a game-winning field goal where there was a, there was a penalty right before. And he missed the first kick and hit the second one. I think this might have been the game because there was a delay of game penalty. 
um, on Jason Hansen, and then he hit the the field the forty eight yard field goal. I I have never forgotten that. Like that was that was one of the more frustrating losses because we weren't at that point we weren't able to decline it. Right. Like so, very frustrating loss. But from that point on, it ended up being a a renaissance, as I mentioned earlier, for the Vikings because the next week they had the Niners and they whipped them. 40 to 16 in somewhat of a coming out party for this offense. Uh, they racked up almost 400 yards on the San Francisco 49ers, and they just they ran them out of the Metrodome. It, like you, you had Jeff George just uh, slinging the ball around, um, 250 yards, three touchdowns, and interception. Um, and this was when like Jeff Garcia ended up starting because Steve Young was injured. And this was at the very end of Steve Young's career. Fun fact of this game, Lawrence Phillips was on the 49ers, the uh, often troubled uh, star from Nebraska who ended up uh, getting drafted in the top five by the Rams and ended up dying in prison because, I believe, murder. Just uh, a really, really rough, rough go for him. But they ended up kind of taking care of business. And I'll tell you, Randy Moss didn't do a whole lot, but he didn't need to. Chris Carter, Jake Reed kind of kind of handled things. Matthew Hatchett had two for 88 and a touchdown. Uh, they, they did some great things in order to kind of just get this going. And get it going, they did. What was really impressive is right after the Niners got a scoop and score, 80-yard touchdown to Matthew Hatchett. Pretty cool. Um, Jeff George just kind of stood in there and kind of took care of business. Uh, and then throughout the course of the season, they went eight and two. Um, they went on a quick uh, five game winning streak to get to seven and four before losing back to back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who they would not win a game at um, Raymond James Stadium from 1998 until 2014 when Anthony Barr got that scoop and score to get them their first win at Tampa Bay since before Raymond James was built. And then most people remember the Kansas City game because Randy Moss, that was his only punt return touchdown, and that ended up taking the lead. Um, no, it tied the game at 28, and then Kansas City drove for the game-winning field goal. But then they won their final three in the regular season. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, I think they won the division. Or, no, they didn't win the division. They got the no. top wild card because Tampa Bay won the division. Right. And they but hosted they were the, Cowboys. the top wild card. And they hosted the first game once we get to the wild yep. card playoff against Dallas. Yep. And they beat Dallas. And then they whooped they, Dallas. They really did. It, it, it was a game that was much f- further apart than the 27-10 score indicated. But then they went into the greatest show on turf and kind of got lambasted. But ah, see, no, I, that I remember game, that game. That game was exciting because you had the '98 Vikings who set all sorts of offensive scoring records. Yeah, versus the 1999 St. Louis Rams, who are now setting all sorts of scoring records, and the whole philosophy is who gets the ball last wins because they were scoring on almost every single drive. 
Defense was an afterthought for both teams during this game. It was an exciting game to watch. It's one of the reasons the NFL has gone to a more offensive-friendly set of rules. Besides putting skirts on quarterbacks, they want more offensive productions because they like the fact that if you've got teams, and take last year for an example, when you had uh, the Chiefs and the Bengals, right? I think it was the game where you go back. Team with the last, gets the ball last, wins, right? And that game against St. Louis back then was that sort of a game. Did we pull it out? No. Unfortunately, no. But up until that point in NFL history, you had not seen that sort of offensive philosophy performed by two teams going at it. It just it just wasn't what. I mean, the, the game plan back then was hand off the ball, run the ball, hand off the ball, run the ball, hand off the ball, run the ball, right? That was football back then. Well, you take Dennis Green and the Vikings, and you take, and I'm forgetting the coach, I should know it. Um, Dick for, Vermeil. Dick Vermeil for St. Louis, and suddenly it's, Oh, forget this. This is fireworks. We're going downfield. We're going to open this puppy up. And we did. And it was an exciting game to watch. Do I wish the Vikings win? Hell yes. Of course I did. Um, But it was one of the most entertaining playoff games we have seen in decades. Still to this day. I would say last year's uh, game that, you know, went down to the into overtime and the whole day was just as exciting, but this was they was Buffalo and Kansas City. Um, mm-hmm. But this one was the forerunner to that. This whole season and this whole attitude on how to play offensive football didn't materialize for another 15 years or so. But it finally has, and I'm happy it has. And the Vikings were the forerunner in 98, and then again, in 99, when they got somebody with a gun for an arm. Well, I'll say this. I remember that game quite a bit differently than you, Dave. And I remember the first half being incredibly exciting. And the Vikings ended up putting up a lot of points. But a lot of that ended up being in garbage time. Because they were up 17-14 to at half. And then they found themselves down 49-17. So as a Vikings fan... That was a very frustrating game to watch. At the yeah, that third quarter where the defense couldn't stop squat. And we're oh, talking defensive yeah. guys like Chris Dolman on the team, right? It's just yeah. that defense was not weak whatsoever. And uh, Dwayne Rudd at linebacker, right? It's just – but then that fourth quarter when, yeah, granted the Rams scored – Two more touchdowns. But the Vikings scored three more, and you were waiting for them to score more and more and more. So the third quarter that killed us. It was like a premonition of, you know, Mike Zimmer in yeah. the last two minutes type thing. <laughs> for the the Rams yeah. the Rams unfortunately had thirty-five consecutive points before the Vikings were able to get twenty on the board oh. to finish the game. Um very frustrating end, but 
some of the moments uh, throughout the course of the season, and it was brought uh, during doing some of my research today. Um, I was kind of reminded of it. Um, like George didn't have uh, like. Th- there's kind of a meme going around on Twitter. Didn't have that dog in him, and kind of what what that means is he didn't have that little bit extra. He didn't have that want. Remember Cam Newton, 2015 in the Super Bowl when the ball was on the ground. He didn't die for it, and he just got right. ripped mercilessly. That was Jeff George. He didn't when things didn't go his way. They they went wrong. He didn't give a hundred percent to try and remedy the situation. Um, Jason Whitlock, who um, gets a lot of flack for a lot of reasons, um, was an ESPN columnist at the time and said, "I was at the Vikings Rams playoff game when George didn't dive to the ground for loose football." Then that's just the kind of guy Jeff George was. He didn't want to put in that little extra effort because it didn't necessarily suit him in, in a certain way. And he had all the arm talent in the world, but mentally he was just not either. He wasn't, or he didn't want to be capable enough to truly be that elite alpha. And one of he the wasn't Brett Favre. He may have had the arm talent of Brett Favre, but he wasn't Brett Favre. Brett Favre would die for that sucker. It almost felt like watching Jeff George, Dave, he was an, an incredibly talented player that just didn't love football. And I, I, a lot of Minnesotans might remember the name Neil Broughton um, on the 1980 uh, Olympic champions. Um, Wayne Gretzky once called him the most talented player he'd ever seen. He just never tried and never cared enough to try. And I feel like that's kind of Jeff George. Inherently talented, brilliant passer never really wanted to put in that little bit extra in order to be great. And the, the, he wanted to come back and he, it sounded like he was okay. Um, backing up Dante Culpepper, just be like, Hey, I'm willing to come back as a backup. I know this is Dante's team. I like it here. Dennis Green said, see ya. And I think a lot of it had to do with just his, his attitude, his track record, because in Minnesota, you really didn't have any issues. He got along well with the coaching staff, the team, and it felt like he was actually finding a home. And if Vikings hadn't drafted Dante Culpepper in 99, there's a chance that Jeff George could have been this this team's long-term option with the offense that they had crafted, with the weapons yeah, that how, they had on the outside. How many years did he play before he played for the Vikings? There was quite a few. He'd already been in the league for he a while. Was dra- this, that was his 10th season. He was drafted in 1990. But we also know that Dennis Green – had no problem cycling in and Old out veteran yeah. quarterbacks. He didn't care. And uh, Jeff George at the time was 33. We're not talking about somebody who was old. We're not talking about somebody who was increpid. We're talking about a guy who was honestly probably still in his prime with his like his limited amount of reps in comparison to other quarterbacks of his era. Didn't he go to D.C. after that? He did. He got a big contract with D.C., I believe it was five years, $25 million. Um, yeah. So that here's here's what Wikipedia said. Um, George hoped to return to Minnesota as as the starting quarterback. It was sold by Dennis Green to shop around. After attempting to speak to other teams, he was eventually offered a one-year $400,000 contract by Minnesota with incentives up to one4 But rather than sign, he signed a four-year $14.8 million deal with Washington's Brad Johnson's backup. 
which is hilarious to think about today, that he basically signed a starting quarterback contract with uh, the Washington football team when they had literally just spent the farm the year before to trade for Brad Johnson. But it was also the sign of a different era, Dave, because you needed a capable backup quarterback. Mm -hmm. You weren't expecting your quarterback to play every single game, and that was the tough part. Yeah, because they didn't put on skirts on quarterbacks back then. No, I I really like that you say that. That's that's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> it's the way it because is. Because it's it's true, it's true. Um, they are protected in ways that um, players at other positions just have not been. Mm-mm. And now they are in the long in the NFL's defense. In the long term, it's quarterbacks that bring money to stadiums for the most part. It's the quarterback mm-hmm. who's you know the face of the team. And they want quarterbacks to stay healthy, play well, so that brings in eyeballs, viewers, people buying seats, butts and seats, buying you know twenty dollar beers, fifteen dollar hot dogs, buying jerseys, the whole works, right? And that they're doing it for a business sense, and there's some logic behind that. I mean, I like it, but there's some logic behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, kind of when, when encompassing the time with Jeff George, I think it can be re- really remembered, Dave, for two reasons. One, God, what a deep ball he threw to Randy Moss, man. That that football was some next-level stuff. And I kind of talked about it with Dave uh, pre-show. The ball did not leave the screen. You see, see my hand right here? It like how it's still in the shot. That was a Jeff George deep ball. It never left the camera. And we were, weren't even talking HD. We we're talking standard definition, sometimes full screen, not even widescreen. Like George was a special, um, in the words of Chris Sims, thrower of the football. He could literally he, throw a football through a wall. I, I hadn't yes. seen an arm that strong. He could air it out at easily 75 yards. Oh, yeah. Uh, easily 75 yards. And just do it just breathing. Um, the 1999 season did land Jeff George the AP Comeback Player of the Year award because the prior year he had only completed 55% of his 169 passes for 1,100 yards, like four touchdowns, five picks. Uh, He did just a little better than that with the Vikings, 58.1% completion percentage, which was fine in that era. Uh, 2,816 yards, 23 touchdowns, 12 picks, and a really nice uh, quarterback rating as well, 94.2, which was one of the highest in the league. Jeff George ended up making this team fun. He ended up kind of continuing that three-deep mantra, which – we developed with Randall Cunningham, and then obviously Jake Reed, Randy Moss, Chris Carter. Matthew Hatchett was no slouch himself. Jeff George was a really big reason why that there was sustained success, and especially Dennis Green coming off of that uh, 15-1 season where he entered the year on the hot seat mm-hmm. to continue that level of success, even with the turmoil at the quarterback position, I believe was really important, and Jeff George kind of prolonged Dennis Green's career. Mm-hmm. Purple Haze, we talk about these uh, influential seasons, the almost seasons, the, you know, could what could have been seasons. 
because that's all we've got as Vikings fans. Mm -hmm. Since 1961, we've come so close on numerous occasions, be it the four Super Bowls, be it the umpteen, I don't know if it's umpteen, but multiple, Mm -hmm. multiple NFC championships, the great season here that ended up against the Rams, even though I don't think that was a NFC championship, I think it was a division game. Divisional. Um, it was still the best game of that postseason. And it's just, it's all we got. But it's going to make, it's got to. It's got to make, once the Vikings finally win that Super Bowl, mm-hmm. make it all the sweeter because oh, of yeah. how close we've gotten. Oh, 100%. And th- this is where content um, right now, kind of stinks like just for us look could we be giving you the same old lines about Kirk Cousins like Kirk (laughs) Cousins is bad Kirk Cousins is good here's why he's bad and good like sure um but at the end of the day like do you really want to spend the next six weeks talking about Kirk Cousins I don't like let's have some fun let's reminisce let's remember some of the underappreciated moments and times in the history of the Vikings. Uh-huh. And that I think like I think we've done a good job so far. 97 was a really big one. Jeff George's season, Percy Harvin uh, uh-huh. last week. Like there's some fun stuff that we can talk about in Vikings history. And there's some stuff I I have down or in my bank that we can go to that I just don't know enough about that I want to research. But um, it is it is a very busy time for the liquor store graduation season, 4th of July. So we're kind of relying on some stuff that we know and that I'm very, very familiar with. And Jeff George is one of them. He was a very, very fun quarterback to watch. Um, he, You know what? He did put on a good show, but it was. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. That 99 game, Dave, we talked about it. It was a it was a tale of two teams. Um, mm-hmm. In the first, second, and fourth quarter, the Vikings looked like they belonged. In the third quarter, they looked like the 1995 Philadelphia Eagles with Rich Kotite as head coach. Mm-hmm. He just couldn't do anything. And that's kind of Jeff George in a nutshell. You never really knew what you were going to get with him. And the team kind of ended up encompassing that when it mattered the most. They just kind of forgot who they were and struggled. I, you know, I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch that game because just from a neutral perspective, because I remember the game itself being really entertaining from a neutral f- standpoint because it was high scoring, it was high octane. You had oh, multiple 40 plus yard touchdowns, and you yeah. saw the comeback effort in the fourth quarter. It was, you know, but it was the third quarter and it was the defense that's where Denny. You know, earned his nickname of Any Green, right? Because he had no D. <laughs> that's that's the game where it came out. So it's good. Yeah, hundred percent. But we've done ninety eight, 
We skipped Percy Harvin. Now we did 99. We know 2000 was a heck of a season. So it'll be coming up shortly. Sometime. My boy. Look, I I honestly don't know, Dave, if I can do another uh, show about me just raving about Dante Culpepper without um, annoying the fan base. But let me tell you that that 2000 season. Oh, it just wasn't Dante, though. That whole team was stacked mm-hmm. from Corey Stringer to the, the offensive line. God, they were monsters. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you had a great defense. Dolman, you had uh, – um, um, trying to remember who else. You had uh, – uh, Randall Hovan. Yeah, Randall Hovan. You got all sorts of folks that are out there. Um that was just that was a miraculous season, and we will save it. It'll be I don't know if it's going to be next week, but it'll be one of the weeks coming up. So, mm-hmm. so like I'm just kind of looking at this 2000 season, kind of as we talk about it. The Vikings were 11 and two, and then they lost their last three games that ended up costing them home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Which, as we know, the New York Giants ended up 41 donut. And if they end up getting home field throughout the playoffs, like I don't, I don't know if you remember this, Dave, but there were uh, there's a conspiracy theory out there that uh, the Giants had um, hacked the Vikings communication and knew every play that was being called. Um, and Robert Griffith, uh, what I believe was the catalyst of it, because he's like, there, there's just no way that they knew everything. Like they knew what we were doing before we did it every play. I it. We were a better football team. I bite my lip. Mm -hmm. I've been told things about that game from specific individuals. And yes, that um, conspiracy theory Mm -hmm. was true. Well, we will talk about that more off the show. We'll kind of wrap this up here, guys. Um, I'll throw it to you. If you have any uh, questions about the Vikings, about kind of this show in general, kind of fire them in the comments. Let's let's spend the last 15, 20 minutes, um, if if we go that long, having a good conversation because the Jeff George era of the Vikings um, was kind of a short one, and there was some stuff to get into. But really the biggest story coming out of 99 was – Randy Moss squirting the water bottle at the ref in that playoff game. And I kind of, I kind of think about like, I, I wonder how much Jeff George ha- played into that. Just what? Not necessi- Rubbing yeah. off on Randy. Randy had a similar <laughs> attitude. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. But it's never a good thing to have, um, have two guys with that kind of attitude that are just loose cannons that can explode at any time. Yeah. Uh, so um, who is the fourth wide receiver is Matthew Hatchett. Uh, Matthew Hatchett was uh, the fourth wide receiver in both 98 and 99. He was a seventh round pick in the 1997 NFL draft and had a relatively good career for the Minnesota Vikings. I believe he got hurt in the 2000 season, which really um, kind of ended his career. Never really got off the ground after that. But 
Matthew Hatch is one of my all-time favorite Vikings. He was just a really solid option for the team. And especially with uh, 97's wide receiver three being um, team favorite Chris Walsh, Walsh just was never that good. He was never really good enough to be a consistent receiver. But let me tell you. He's a good special teamer. Amazing special teamer. That's a guy you would consider for, like, Hall of Fame special teamers because he was fantastic. Um, ISM, hey, Purple Haze, I hope he turns into something that quality. Mm-hmm. He has the Look, if, I, if, if ISM could turn into a wide receiver three, that's a win. Mm-hmm. Like, we can't be expecting greatness. Stephon Diggs was an anomaly. He was a five-star recruit across the board. He was, like, a top five wide receiver recruit over the last, like, 15 years. He just kept dealing with injuries at his hometown school, Maryland, and ended up falling because of that. And obviously, the "quote unquote" attitude. But I, the attitude, who cares? Like the the guy has a little bit of diva in him. If you're a receiver and you don't have diva, I don't want you. Uh, like, want the ball? Well, I got the want the ball. Chris asked a good question. Though. What team in the last ten years reminds you the most? of the 1999 in terms of personnel and success? Oh, that's a really good question. Of the Vikings? The only one that comes close is 2017. Chris, if you're talking teams that don't necessarily uh, – it doesn't have to necessarily be the Vikings, that that really intrigues me. Um, I would actually lean – 2021 Buffalo Bills. Um, Really solid depth, good offensive line, really, really good weapons, a quarterback that can sling at a country mile, um, players on all three levels of the defense, but the defense just couldn't hold up. Um, Like the 2021 Bills, I think, is a good comparison. All right. Let's let's see. I think Steve asking a question. No, he's commenting on no. he's beating the Zimmer horse. Oh, we can beat the Zimmer horse. Um, KC two three years ago is a good one. Um, yeah, that I, I think the Bills are a more balanced football team. Um, hey, Donnie. Yeah, uh, just because their defense is better. Um, there's just more talent on the defense uh, from top to bottom. Um, and I think a lot of Kansas City's success on defense was specifically linked to Steve Spagnolo um, calling a very great aggressive style. And it not necessarily has to do anything with his players. So I think just in terms of that, that's what that's how I view it. Um, yeah, Anthony Bass and Waswasser Wonga. Don't forget. Um, Northwestern State great Kenny Wright was on those teams too. Gosh, Kenny Wright just getting roasted every five seconds drove me up a damn wall. Oh, like oh, and and Robert Tate, the drafted wide receiver from North Carolina, who turned into a corner, and he actually wasn't too bad. But he was with those other guys and kind of just got lumped in with them. But Tate ended up being a nice little reclamation project. Early 2010 Steelers. They were good. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. They had a good I'm, defense. I'm going to be really in- Roethlisberger. Yeah. They had some good wide receivers. 
They've always had good wide receivers. It's not fair, man. Hey, like, I go back to the days of Lynn Swan and Stallworth. Not Stallworth. Yeah. Even in the 90s, like Andre Hastings, uh, Yancey Thigpen, slash Cordell Stewart, that uh, Super Bowl team. Like they had, they've had good receivers throughout the course of my life. Steve, the conspiracy theory over the Giants 41-0 is that uh, the Giants were monitoring all the radio traffic of the Vikings from the booth to the sideline, sideline to the quarterback, all that stuff. And that was back in the days before the NFL uh, encrypted the radios for each team. It was that game in particular that caused the NFL to encrypt the radios, the frequencies on both sides of the ball. And Mm -hmm. if you notice, it was that next year because of that game, even though the NFL didn't come out and say it was because of that game, that they did that. The, The Giants knew the calls ahead of time, and they were relaying them down because they were listening to the Vikings radio traffic. That's why you used to be able to go in. I don't know if a lot of you, at least years ago, I don't know if they do it now. I think now you got to pay for it and you only get a certain frequency. But you can buy a headset during a NASCAR race to listen to a certain team and to listen to their stuff as they're talking to their driver. Well, it used to be you could buy a certain set of headsets or have a scanner and you could listen to it in the crowd and you could pick up the radio signals. The Giants were doing that before that was a thing in NASCAR, they did that against the Vikings. They were listening to all the calls. They knew that, hey, the defense is lining up in cover too. All right. And they'd tell it, and then they'd call the play or run the alternate play ahead of time to def- to de- defeat it. And it was, it was cheating. And the Giants got away with it. It's that simple. They did, and very frustrating from a Vikings perspective. But it kind of is what it is. Uh, I'm really surprised that that that's not uh, that's not Purple really. I guess that was before, way before Bluetooth. Oh yeah, um, this is a good one from Andrew. Um, who would you want from that team to play for the Vikings now? Um, not Randy Moss. Oh, that's easy. Um, it's one of two guys. It's either John Randall or Randall McDaniel. Mm Because Randall McDaniel is one of those rare offensive guards that can really shape an offensive line just by his presence. Him and Hutch. He was that good. Um, Mm -hmm. Best comparisons for what his impact was in today's game, Quentin Nelson and Zach Martin. They're just on a different level. The positional value does not matter for those players. He's just special. I also would have considered Corey Stringer because he was tremendous um, before his un- untimely passing before the 2001 season. Um, I'll tell you, Dennis Green had a lot of flaws. He was obsessed with building in the trenches. Absolutely obsessed. Just his first rounders. Uh, Randy McDaniel wasn't his. But, <laughs> oh, Sorry. Chris, I-, I-, I want you to um, look in your... Um, drawer in your kitchen, find the nearest spatula, and you know what to do with it, okay? Um, 
But Chris Hovan that, was nice, but Chris Hovan, believe it or not, was not all the greatest. He was good. He was okay. They wanted they wanted him to be the Randall replacement, and it just never came to fruition. Um, Stalin Colonnais, um, Dwayne Alexander, um, Tony Williams, the, those three guys that were drafted in the first couple rounds in the mid-'90s, none of them ever panned out. Dwayne Clemens, same way. Um, just, it just is what it is. Um, but they tried and they tried diligently to continue to build in the trenches. Randall McDaniel, first round pick, Todd Stucey, first round pick, Corey Stringer, first round pick. They kept going to that well with Dennis Green because he believed that that was how you won football games and won championships. And they made a couple runs where they had opportunities to do that. Um, and Jeff Christie, I believe, was undrafted. And then you had, Matt Burke, who mm-hmm. was drafted in the sixth round of 1998 to take over at someday at center because they were going to have to deal with cap concerns after 99. And it ended up coming playing out pretty nicely. Matt Burke had a fringe Hall of Fame career. Well, Christie uh, and Burke both were outstanding centers. Yeah. Um, I'll say this because uh, there's a comment about um, dealing with the Ravens defense in 2000. The Vikings would have had more success than the Giants against that Ravens defense. The Giants offense was not that great. It was Kerry Collins, Amani Toomer, Ike Hilliard, uh, go Gators. Uh, but you had Tiki Barber, you had Ron Dane. Like there were some good players. It was not a great offense. The Vikings had a great offense. Uh, it was, I think they, they would have had a lot of struggles, but I also think that they would have had more of more success because of who they were. So I don't necessarily think that the Vikings would have been had an issue playing the Ravens. Um, Robert Smith was a first-round draft pick. I believe he was the first first-rounder after a Herschel Walker trade in 1993 out of the Ohio State University. I want to say, like, pick 19 overall? That sounds about right. Um, Smith, great player. Um, to this day, I believe he's the only player in NFL history to have his first and last name on his jersey at the same time. Hmm. It had Robert up top and then Smith right below it in bigger letters. I'll never forget that. It was To me, it was just the weirdest thing in the world. I, I can't remember what year it was, but I remember it vividly in my head. And he is a smart, smart individual. Yes. Ended up... Uh, Retired early. He retired early to go to medical school. Mm-hmm. And he, I think he's a doctor. Yes, he is. He also was a college football analyst for ESPN. Mm-hmm. And he was on ESPN. Well, he still does news. it every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, he did the ESPN news broadcasts um, where it was basically just like a, a running sports center gimmick. Um, and. Yeah, he was he was a dang dang good analyst. He, very, like you said, smart person, mm-hmm. smart person. And his, that's why he left. And the his game style. Early. Once we got Adrian Peterson, after that, the styles were totally different. Oh, yeah. Robert Smith was a very very heady back. He would sit there and he'd wait for his blocks to develop, and he'd bide his time, and uh, he'd find a hole and he'd squirt through and he'd go. Whereas Adrian, especially when Adrian first got in, Adrian was just like. Ball, go line, go. And he'd run through anything that was in the way. 
and it didn't matter. And the the, the styles were totally, totally different. Mm-hmm. But you knew on Robert Smith, just like with Adrian, just like with Dalvin Cook now, any play, it could be any play. It could look like, oh, he's got the ball, he hits the line, he's held up, it may go for two yards, and then bang, he's gone. Yeah. Just a special guy. I um, found I came across a video of Robert Smith the other day where he – was running at Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh and literally ran out of his shoe and ran 30 yards without his right shoe for a touchdown. Like, the guy was special. (laughs) All right, well, Dave, good show. This was a lot of fun talking about Jeff George and the chaos, and now I have to throw something. (laughs) There we go. We have officially Jeff George. Um, Dave, uh, next week um, we'll – We'll discuss. Um, I should have a show ready to go. I'm going to be out of town this weekend. Fourth um, mm-hmm. of July, ladies and gentlemen, there will be no show. Um, I will be spending Fourth of July with the family, and I hope all of you do the same. But we will be back in July with some. We're probably going to start shifting towards preview. And we're going to start talking, uh, talking about training camp and um, probably we still do don't have dates show. yet, right? Nope. It'll be the end of June. The end of July. Yeah. We'll probably do a, a week talking about offense, a week talking about defense, kind of previewing what we're going to be looking for, what we want to Special see. teams. Dave, I'm going to need you to spend 15 minutes talking about our long snapper. Hey. Can do. Easy. All right. Uh, Dave, what do we have coming up on the network this week? This week we have the boys on Wednesday, Vikings happy hour. We have Matt and Ryan themselves. They were out at Chad Graff's uh, charitable golf tournament this week. Mm-hmm. So not only were they – working on their golf games, which is probably pretty pathetic. Uh, they were drinking Lake Monster beers, as in that picture, but they were talking football and getting insights because everybody that uh, reports on the Vikings that swings a golf club was there. So I'm sure they were comparing notes and having a great time. They will be here. Except for me. I, I was not there, unfortunately. They will be here Wednesday with Vikings Happy Hour. And uh, from there... We have uh, two old bloggers, Darren and myself, will break down another three themes this week. I don't know what it is yet, but we'll find out in depth, break it down. We're curious how you liked last week. We, I thought we did a pretty good job, and uh, we'll keep that going until two old bloggers turns into your pregame show. Yeah, and uh, we're really excited for it to turn into the pregame show. Yeah. That means I Vikings football is back it's gonna be a fun time in the meantime thank you for joining us here tonight and letting us turn your monday purple and as always skull Vikings. thanks for watching like subscribe and ring the bell and rate us on your favorite aggregator and a special shout out goes to our partners the daily norsemen where the best vikings content can be found and to lake monster brewing home of the best beer in Minnesota. 
Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.